Sorry, I'm thinking. Sometimes that takes a while for me. Um, if you're new with us, my name's Landon, and I'm the, the pastor here. And Nate is pretty, pretty spot on this morning. It's been a, a funny, scattered, a little bit chaotic one on all fronts, actually. Um, every single staff member, pretty much, um, volunteers. And so I'm actually really excited about that because I think God moves sometimes when he moves us out of the way and clears a path for him to do what he's supposed to do. Um, I've actually been working on this sermon, in all honesty, for probably like six months because it's, it's a part of vision. And so it's something we've been processing through and, and, and working through. And I'm not really sure where I'm going to go with it because there's so many different, different options. So we'll, we'll kind of see in limited time. Uh, we will be in Matthew chapter 28, though. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. Matthew chapter 28. And here's kind of what I want you to think through a process of as we dive into the scriptures. These are Jesus' last words. Now, I think I shared how um, a few weeks ago I went on a trip. It was just me. I flew to Portland without my wife or kids. And every time I go on a trip without my family, I'm always really intentional on that last day. And especially in those last few minutes with them. I cherish the last hug and kiss with my three kids and my wife. And, and I think through what I'm going to say to each kid. I'll usually get down on one knee and hug them. And I say something different to each one based on where they're at and what's going on in their life. And there's an intentionality, a purposefulness with it. And this morning, as we read in Matthew chapter 28, these are Jesus' last words. That's significant. These are the last words that he is going to, to give, to share, the last instruction and, and, and verbal love that he's going to offer, if you will, to his disciples that have given up a lot to follow him. This is the last thing. So it's really intentional and purposeful. He's about to, to leave them in a way for a season. And so as he's about to depart, he goes, here's the last thing I'm going to give to you. Here are the words I want you to cling to. Here is my plan. That's the context of what we're going to be reading this morning in Matthew 28, beginning in, in verse 16. But before we get there, we need to know a little bit more. To this point, Jesus is, has been born human and as God. He's, he's lived a perfect human life. He's given himself up as a sacrifice for us, for humanity on the cross. He was killed and then he rose three days later. And you'd think after that, Satan might give up, but Satan hasn't given up. It's interesting. Let's read what happens in uh, verse 11 of Matthew chapter 28. As they were on their way, some of the guards came into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. After the priests had assembled with the elders and agreed on a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money and told them, say this or lie in this way. His disciples came during the night and stole him, stole Jesus, while we were sleeping. If this reaches the governor's ears, we will deal with him and keep you out of trouble. Because if they were sleeping while on guard, they could be killed for that. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story, this lie, has been spread among Jewish people and throughout the world to this day. We have a series of lies in this book. The first one was when the world was perfect. God created Adam and Eve, Adam and, Eve and placed them in the garden and, and was with them and it was good until Satan came onto the scene and whispered a lie about who God was. 
told them something that was not true. He deceived them and they walked away from God. Sin entered the world and so did brokenness and pain and, and violence and disease and racism and, and murder, abuse. We, we fast forward thousands of years and, and Jesus is God's plan. God sends Jesus to this world to say, this is what humanity should look like. It's good. You just messed it up. So I'm going to do it myself on your behalf. And right as Jesus starts his mission, he's baptized. He has this relationship with the Father, and then he goes out into the desert to be tempted for our sake. He goes out into the desert, and as he's wandering alone, Satan comes again to humanity, to Jesus, to tell one more lie. And he tells Jesus, are you sure that the Father, that God, has your best interest in mind? Because actually, I can give you all authority. I can give you all power. I can give you all understanding. People will bow to you if you just first bow to me. There's a first lie in the garden. Humanity falls for it. We reject God. And Jesus in human form comes and in the desert is tempted on our behalf, and he overcomes this temptation. He says, that is not the truth. Away from me, Satan. We just read a third lie by Satan. Jesus rose, victorious, over sin, over death, and over Satan, but he didn't give up. Satan then says, this is what we'll do. Satan's behind this lie. Here is the story we will tell because Satan wants nothing more than for each of us, for you, your family members, your friends, loved ones, to walk away from Jesus because Jesus is our only hope. So he says, here's the story we will tell. Now we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 16. Satan's still telling this lie, but Jesus himself is not concerned with this lie. He's not worried about it. This just happens, and then now Jesus goes to his disciples, knowing Satan's plan, knowing his schemes and what he's doing, and we read this in Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. The 11 disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. It's okay. Some of you in, in here this morning worshiped. Some of you in, this, in here this morning doubted. Some of us did both. That's okay. Jesus still meets us there. Then Jesus came near and said to them. Notice that Jesus is near to us. He says this, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So here's, here's the next lie to humanity that Satan is, is going to spread. But Jesus isn't concerned about it because he has this plan. You've, you've maybe heard this. It's, it's popular in the scriptures and throughout Christianity. We often refer to it as the Great Commission. It might be titled that in your Bible. This is Jesus' plan. These are his last words to his disciples. He says, Satan has this plan. He knows that. But his plan is greater. And what's a little bit crazy is that his plan is going to be carried out through us. As we continue in our, our series on vision, 
for Restoration Church. This is the, the passage we come to, and there's, there's really three key things we're going to pull out that Jesus instructs us, that he gives vision for us to combat Satan's lie and so that the world might know him. And I joked last week of how I'm going to use three words that all start with the same letter, so we'll do that. As I, uh, I had this all planned out this morning, and then on my way here, I changed my mind. So we're going to do this in reverse order, um, because the order is that important. Like, the sequence of this, we could take the three different ingredients of vision that Jesus himself gives us here. But if we mess up the order, not only is it all worthless, we will actually harm each other and people. If we mess up the order of these three, I'm not going to call them steps, but components of Jesus' vision of how we are called to join him. That's what we talked about last week. This isn't our master plan. Hey, Jesus, come follow us. We have something good for you. It's going to work great. It's not that. Jesus has a vision, and we're going to join him in it. But if we start in the wrong place, it all goes wrong. Can we pull up the, the slide with the three words, please? Present, practice, and preview. So we're going to start with the third piece, which is preview. We'll then talk about what practice means and what present means. First, let's look at kind of where I'm pulling this from. In verse 18, Jesus says this. Then Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. You might think that Jesus' plan and the reason that Jesus died was so that we would not have to go to hell and that we could go to heaven. But that is just not what Jesus says. If we read the scriptures and the gospels, what he actually says over and over and over again is not this is how you get to heaven or this is how you escape hell. He says the kingdom of God is near. What he's proclaiming is this, that life on earth is actually good. We, we know this. There's so many beautiful components of the life that we've been given. Now there's brokenness too. And so when he says the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is near, he's saying, I am going to reign as king on earth as the perfect leader to make this what it was meant to be, to restore brokenness to beautiful. Jesus is the mission. Jesus will come and live among us and make everything right. That's the hope we have. It's actually really minuscule. It's, it's, it's demoting, devaluing of who Jesus is to say, hey, Jesus, you've really screwed this whole thing up, this whole earth project. You blew it. Thank God you can kind of let us escape and go somewhere else. That's not what he's saying. He's going, no, it was a really good plan and you blew it, but I'm going to restore it and make all things new for you. I'm going to come and reign as king. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. He is going to make earth heaven. The two will collide and he will reign in our midst and everything will be as it should be. That will be a good day. And it's partially here now. This is where the word preview comes. Jesus is going to make this happen, but he gives us a job. He says, go therefore and make disciples. And as you do that, as there's followers of me, as followers and apprentices of Jesus go out into the everyday stuff of life, we will be a preview, we talk about this fairly often, of the coming reign of Jesus. It's just like a movie trailer. You see a movie trailer and you go, I really want to see that movie. I can't wait to see that. I'm going to buy my tickets ahead of time. This is coming soon. And what Jesus is saying is one day soon I will return and reign as king fully. There will be no more sin. There will be no more sickness, violence, racism, abuse, brokenness, gone. When Jesus is fully present with us. And his plan is this, that when we go into the everyday stuff of life, 
as we live our lives, by the way we talk and act and, and give and the things we do, by the way we're actually human, people will look at our lives in the name of Jesus and go, that's a preview. It's not perfect. It's a glimpse. It's a foretaste of what is to come. We as the church are not called to save the world. Thank God. But we are called to be a preview, a glimpse, to say this kingdom is coming soon. Now this can go really wrong. If, if the preview, if we seek to be a preview first, it can get ugly. You probably have known Christians who are hypocritical and judgmental. If we did a survey on the streets and you go, what are, what are Christians like? It's probably going to be hypocritical and judgmental. The reason this happens is when we skip steps and we go, we're going to be a preview. We're going to do evangelism and tell people about Jesus and all these things, but we're not going to live life the way Jesus called us to. If we skip these steps and we start with trying to be a preview and saying, heaven's going to come or this is how you go, it always is ugly. It's, it functions like a movie trailer where the director and producer had nothing to do with it, where the main character is not in the preview, and where they actually don't even look at the script or the story. Have you, ever, have you ever experienced that, where someone's talking about Christianity or Jesus, and you go like, I don't even know. That's not it. I, I've sat in some classes in college, and you do like a comparative religion study, and you hear something about Christianity, and you go like, that is like not it at all. And so there's all these false previews, lies, that are told about who Jesus is, often because we get the sequence of what Jesus says here wrong. So what is the way that we will be an effective preview of the coming reign of Jesus? Let's, let's look at what he says here. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples. So his followers and the everyday stuff of life will be a preview in all nations. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Okay, here's how will be a preview. Teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. So we can translate that. Practicing the way of Jesus. Practicing being human like Jesus was. Practicing embracing his love and his way of life. We will be an effective preview, glimpse, movie trailer of the coming reign of Jesus on earth when we practice living life the way he does. And the world needs us to live life, to love, to listen, to act, to care, to be gracious and merciful, forgiving, faithful, the way Jesus was and is. When we practice following the way of Jesus, we'll be an effective preview of the coming reign of Jesus. People say, wow, that's a glimpse. And you go, yeah, that's nothing because I'm pretty sinful and messed up. But when he returns, he'll make it all good. And somewhere deep in each of us, we long for that preview and practice. We'll spend a lot more time talking about those two in the weeks to come. I'm just going to barely touch on them because they don't at all matter. They're entirely irrelevant, or maybe they're actually relevant in a negative way if we don't get the next one right. Because you also know or have seen Christians that are just about rules. If you just do this and don't do that, Make sure you give some money and go to church and do some Bible studies. Don't sin, lie, cheat, steal, do these sexual things, whatever. We have these lists. And we go, that's the way of Jesus. By doing the right and not doing the wrong, that's how the world's going to see Jesus and will be a preview. That doesn't work either. See, two things happen if we get the sequence wrong. 
And both lead to us being a really bad movie trailer. Have you ever seen one of those? And you go like, that movie has zero chance from the beginning. You see the movie trailer and you're like, I never want to see that. You'd have to pay me to. Like, that's actually what we often do as Christians. We say, hey, come see this movie. And people are like, no, that is the last thing I want to do. I was joking with my community um, that while I was doing sermon prep, I was listening to, to Kesney, Kesney, Kenny Chesney in a song that says, I, I want to go to heaven, I just don't want to go yet. And it's funny. He says, I'm not ready. I'm having a good time here. Everyone wants to go to heaven. I just don't want to go yet. That's actually a true sentiment of our culture and probably of many of us because we have this terrible movie trailer and preview. And so there's this idea that we're going to float on a cloud in a loincloth and sing Amazing Grace for all eternity. And I remember as an eight-year-old being terrified of heaven because of that. Like, that actually sounds awful. But you probably have some spiritualized idea of heaven. And that's not it. Whatever you enjoy in this world is a gift from God, and it will only be that good that is in heaven on earth when Jesus reigns as king. But if we're legalistic and say it's about these do's and don'ts, it's a terrible preview. I'm not even looking at the script. Or if we skip to just being a preview in our own effort, again, it's going to be a terrible preview. No one wants to go see that movie. So if you look at the slide when we practice, effectively, we'll be a preview, but we can only practice when we've been presented with who God is in such a way that it overwhelms us. I'm going to explain this in a minute, but first, let's, let's look at the, the scriptures themselves. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. That's still okay. Then Jesus came near and said to them, I am king. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Okay, when you go to different churches all around our country, all around the world, you're going to hear this word discipleship. What does discipleship look like? What's your discipleship plan? Do you have some steps? What do you do? And we often actually never, like, define what a disciple is. It's one of those, like, church words, disciple. What actually is a disciple? Jesus defines it here for us, and he, and he gives it in three ways. The first is those who recognize that he is in authority, the second, you see, those who have been taught to obey, to observe all that he's taught and commanded. But here's the first and most important part. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. What is a disciple? First and foremost, a disciple is someone baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The first characteristic that Jesus says of a disciple is someone who has been baptized in the name of Father, Son, and Spirit. And my guess is, from left to right, I'm panning and looking at all of you, you probably have all kinds of different images of what this baptism looks like. I, I love what, what Dallas Willard says about this word baptism here. He says this, immerse them together in the presence of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yes, baptize them in the name, but dear friends, that does not mean get them wet while you say the names. It's, a, it's an effective picture for me. This, this word baptism here is not talking about some horse trough that we have here some Sundays and we, we dip people into the water symbolizing going into Jesus' death and then rising up in his life. That's good. That matters. We'll do that. But that, that I don't think is what this is actually saying. I don't think that's what Jesus cares about in this moment. That's a symbol of it. 
but there's something much deeper. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. What's a disciple? Someone who has been baptized. Here's some different words to think of baptism. Someone who's been covered, immersed, blanketed, drowned in, overwhelmed by what? Who God is as Father, Son, and Spirit. God is this relationship of the three that love each other perfectly, a love we can't really imagine other than the fact that through Jesus' death and resurrection, we now share his blood. This is why we take communion, and we are united in Christ. They invite us into the relationship that God is. It's like a, a blanket on a cold night that you put over your body, and it overwhelms, it protects, it restores your body temperature to what you were designed to be at. It protects you from the cold. Now, I've shared this picture or this image before, but to me it's the best one I can think of. When I was a kid growing up, for the last day of school, we'd always go to the lake. I've shared this, to Lake Pleasant. And so you'd be sitting in class just dying for that last bell to ring, and it finally ring, and there's no greater noise than the bell ringing, especially on the last day of school. And it's kind of like... Mel Gibson and Braveheart, you just go, freedom! Just, that's how it feels every time. And you like run out the hall. And my dad would come in his truck and me and some friends and my sister and some friends would pile into the truck. We'd go get some sandwiches. We'd start driving down to Phoenix. And I'm just watching the temperature gauge at the front of the truck. It's getting hotter and hotter and hotter and I can't wait. But I kind of, I'm weird. I'm really weird. I make myself miserable like it's not summer yet. Not until we get to the lake. And then we get to the lake and everyone gets out and we go to the restroom and you throw the ice chests in with the drinks and other food and you take the, the cover off the boat. Everyone gets in. My dad would drive the truck down to the dock. And then when I was old enough, I'd be the, one, the only one in the boat. Uh, my dad's driving it and I, I'd take the boat down and hope I didn't hit anything or break anything, which may or may not have happened a time or two, while he drives the trailer back up and then comes down and we, we get him in the boat. Then you're in this thing called the wakeless zone where you're not allowed to make a wake. You can't go fast. So it just feels like forever until you see the, the buoys like 100 yards away and you're just slowly trotting along. But you can smell it, the gas, the engine's roaring, there's a vibration just a little bit even though you're not going fast. The sun's starting to be on your skin and it's warming and you're like, we're almost there. Finally, you get past that last buoy and my dad just puts the throttle on and we go and the wind's blowing in your face and there's so much air going by but it's still hot because it's Phoenix in summer and then we get to this little cove, just some private part and the boat stops and it's almost that time. Now it's like uncomfortably hot but you're glad. And I look out to the front of the boat, to the bow and there's a little walkway with a little platform and there's this moment when you go, summer is about to begin and you make it as dramatic as possible like your Mel Gibson and Braveheart. And you run and you plant that last foot on the platform and then you just jump as high as you can and as far as you can. And at the last second you tilt in and you dive head first. And then there's, there's two words that come to mind in this moment. It's wonderfully shocking the second your head and hands hit the water. The second you go in and are immersed. Like it doesn't matter how hot the day is or how warm the water is. Diving into water is shocking but in a wonderful way. And you finally go head first. You're wet and you dive in. And the further you go, the deeper you get, the cooler it is. But you're still warm. And there's this weird thing in water where gravity does not have nearly the same impact. And so there's this, this freedom of floating. Finally, the momentum stops and you start floating back up. And your body doesn't have to work to stay. You just float. 
And you have this awareness from head to toe. You can feel everything. You're completely covered. And there's peace. Your ears are covered by water, so there's not this noise. And you just have this moment, you, alone in the water, listening, feeling. I'd say breathing, but you're not breathing. And there's this peace, this joy, this warmth, this excitement. For me growing up, there's nothing like that. Finally, you get to the top and you take your breath because you have to breathe at some point. And summer has begun. That's the image I have here of baptism. This is the first characteristic of a disciple. All authority, Jesus has said, has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples. What is a disciple? Someone baptized. Someone who is overwhelmed, covered by, immersed in, cannot escape the waters that God is. His love, his peace, his joy. Nate, what passage did you, what psalm did you read? Psalm 103, is that what you said? Let's see if I can find that. I thought this passage that Nate decided to read, we didn't talk about this, is a great description. Also, it's the most quoted, the set of verses in this are the most quoted verses in the Bible by the Bible. So you can pretty much turn like every two pages and it's going to say, say the same thing. I want to just read this. My soul praise Yahweh. And all that is within me, praise his holy name. My soul praise the Lord. And do not forget all his benefits. Meaning what? Do not forget who he is. As Father, Son, and Spirit, we are to be immersed in, covered by, drowned in. In the best sense of the term, it's weird, but it's true. Like, there's nowhere to go. You float in. You rest in the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. His perfect love for us. There's no other love. There is no other hope. There are only frauds outside of the name of Jesus out of our God. Who is this God that we're to be baptized in, covered by, blanketed by? He's the one that forgives all sins, that is going to get rid of all diseases, that redeems our life from the worst places, the brokenness, the pit. He crowns you with faithful love and compassion, not because you're faithful, because you're not, but because he is. He satisfies you with goodness. Your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord executes acts of righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. In Exodus, it puts it this way, that Yahweh, our God, this is his name, is slow to anger. Oh, that's such a good picture. He doesn't get anger, angry quickly, but he does get angry. When people abuse his children, when evil and brokenness occurs, our God gets angry and he does something about it. He revealed his way to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. Here's who he is. The Lord Yahweh is compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger and rich in faithful love. He will not always accuse us or be angry forever. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve. Jesus did that or repaid us according to our offenses. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows what we are made of, remembering that we are dust. Praise the Lord. The beauty gospel. The freedom of the gospel is that it's this gift. It's not centered on you because you're broken. 
you're messed up. You're sinful just like me. You were made in his image. You were made good, but we walked away from God. Why? Because we believed the lie in our humanity. Maybe you're believing that lie right now. That God is not good. That God does not love. But Jesus didn't believe the lie. In his humanity, he was tempted on our behalf, and he said, no, this isn't true. And the world will know my name. The world will know that I will reign as king on earth and everything good will remain good perfectly forever without sin through his people. We as the church are his body. I shared this last week, but, but Bill Eaton, one of our, our elders, said this and it's just stuck with me. He says, I wake up and I try to remember Jesus has been there. He's been waiting to greet me. Whew, that is significant. Like, do you wake up and think he's already been there? He's not just showing up when I say, hey, Jesus, you there? No, he's been there waiting for you to wake up, ready to love. Chuck Bomar, one of the, the gentlemen on our, our management team, as we switch to elders next week, he'll transition off of that. He's in, in Portland. He's been a great friend and mentor, and he's brilliant. He said this to a group of pastors in, uh, in January. He said, you know what? I think the most important thing I do on Jesus is, is just go sit in my living room and shut up and listen. Not read the scriptures, not pray words of my own, but just sit and know that I am loved. And out of that love, Chuck does some pretty brilliant things as a leader. But it has to start with Jesus presenting himself in a way that overwhelms Chuck, that overwhelms you, that overwhelms me with who God is. Because if you're not overwhelmed by who God is, and there's seasons, we sing about it, we may not feel it, we may not understand it, but if you've not experienced being overwhelmed by who God is, by this love that does not make sense by human standards, what other God leaves his throne to die on a cross for us? That doesn't exist probably have the wrong God. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. What is a disciple? First and foremost, it's someone who has been presented with Jesus, with Father and with Spirit, with who God is, the triune God, in such a way that they're overwhelmed by him. Baptizing them name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Have you been baptized? Have you been immersed and overwhelmed in who God is? I'm not talking about just getting dunked in the water. Have you been overwhelmed by who God is? It's the first characteristic of a disciple. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So if we go back to the, the slide that has the three parts, the foundation is that we're presented with who God is. After we've been presented and overwhelmed by who God is, after, it doesn't go away. It's not a step. We don't go step one, understand who God is. Now we move on and we'll practice. No, we build on the presentation of who God is. We continue to be overwhelmed by who he is. And then we learn to practice. So he says, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. Not as a rule book to see if we can get it right, like a test, but going, this is what is best for all of humanity. This is how marriage functions well. This is how parenting should work. This is how you should treat people and do business and art should be created and cities should collaborate and flourishing should happen. Once we've been presented with who God is and his design for humanity, 
then we can begin to practice following the way of Jesus. We talked about this over the summer in our stream series, practicing generosity, hospitality, Sabbath, repentance, celebration, collaboration. When that happens, when we build on the presentation of who God is and we're overwhelmed by him, we then practice as a church following the way of Jesus. We will then be an effective preview of the reign of Jesus. In the coming weeks, we'll talk about more specifics of how we'll practice, of how we'll intentionally work together to be a preview in the schools in our city and the businesses in our homes. But just like last week, I said, we gotta start with joining Jesus. We never move past that. Second step is we have to start, stay in, and never move past being overwhelmed by who God is. Do you ever just sit and be overwhelmed by who God is? That's what we need to do. No vision, no practices, no ideas or strategy matters. We just need to rest and know that he is good, that he is God, that he is faithful, that he's forgiving, that he is love, especially since we are not those things often. Let's pray. Jesus, once again, I just thank you for who you are. That you are our mighty king, that you are our savior, that you have worked on our behalf. That through your sacrifice, Father, we are united with you. We need you. Overwhelm us, God. I pray for every single person in this room and every person a part of our church that's not even with us this morning. For the family that is Restoration Church, God, may you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, overwhelm us with who you are. We look to you, we depend on you, lead us in everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen. It's interesting, we'll talk about this more in a couple weeks, but Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, therefore go. That doesn't mean leave, like, hey, go to China on a missions trip. It actually is this, this verb that's a participle that means going, in your going, and the everyday stuff of life. Here's why that matters. Because if Jesus only matters in this room, this building, these walls that we call a church, then the world won't know who he is. He didn't say go to church or go to the, go to the temple or in your quiet time or when you're reading the scriptures or when you're feeling spiritual, go. That's not what the verb means. The word go here means in your going, in the everyday stuff of life, in all that you do in your homes, in the marketplace, in your vocations, in your hobbies, with your finances, with your friends, with the people that you don't like, the people that drive you crazy, the guy that flipped you off on the road, everyone and everywhere. In your going, be and make disciples. Meaning be overwhelmed as God presents himself to you, as his church presents him to you, as we as one another present Jesus to each other and practice and then preview. We'll talk about that in the next couple of weeks. If you're new with us at Restoration Church, we continue to worship because worship is an all-of-life thing in three ways. Um, one is through reflection, and so take time during this next song to reflect on who God is. Whether that's in singing or just sitting still, let him overwhelm you. He will. Just listen. The second is by taking communion. So communion is a gift from Jesus to those of us who have given our life to him and said, Jesus, only you are king. Only you have authority in heaven and on earth. And Jesus said, here's a gift to you from me. It's my body and my blood that I gave up for you on the cross. And as you take the, the bread and you dip it into the cup, 
and then we consume it. We remember. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus didn't just leave us, but by the power of the Spirit, we are united with him. We now share his blood. We are family. And so he leads. We don't lead. He leads everything we do. So whether that's individually or as a family or maybe with your community here at Restoration Church, there's a station to my left and a station to my right to take the bread and dip it into the cup and know that Jesus, the King, the perfect human, fully God, is in you and with you, leading the everyday stuff of your life as you go. And then lastly, we worship uh, with, our, with our finances and giving because so often our hearts are tied to our finances. And so there's two boxes for giving in the back of the room. Uh, and, and we give from our hearts, not out of obligation, but to say, God, my heart's to be united by to you. Everything is yours, including this. And so two boxes in the back of the room where there's instructions on how you can give online if you'd like to give online. Um, let's continue to, uh, to worship now, though, in our response.